So the reading is from Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 to 14, and it's on page 1202 in the church Bibles. Therefore, holy brothers who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house, and we are his house if we hold on to our courage and the hope of which we boast. So, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers tested and tried me and for 40 years saw what I did. That is why I was angry with that generation and I said their hearts are always going astray and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Good evening. Uh, What a joy it is uh, in that time to uh, hear what God is doing, Uh, isn't it, really? Uh, Hold on to the... Pete's excited about it, nobody else is. Anybody uh, excited to hear what God's doing in people's lives? Yes? Uh, Good, because in a way that's what I'm going to talk about tonight, Uh, so the Lord has already kind of got there ahead of me. Hold on to some of that, remember it, Uh, put it in your heart what God is doing in the lives of uh, Christians uh, around us. Shall we pray before I start? Uh, Father God, we thank you. We thank you that we see you moving. We thank you that we can see you in the lives of those around us. Lord, we, can, we thank you that as we sung, even when we don't see it, you're working. And Lord, we praise you. And Lord, we pray that now as I uh, speak, you will be speaking. Your words will be the words that folks hear. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, what a 48 hours it's been. What a 48 hours it's been in our country. 
Parliament sitting on a Saturday. For those of you who follow politics, which is pretty much everybody at the moment, other than those of us who are basically trying to avoid it. All sorts is going on. Will we leave the European Union at the end of uh, October? Who knows? If and when that happens, what will our job prospects look like? What will some people's immigration status end up looking like? What will our house prices look like? What will our relationship with uh, countries near and far look like? It's really uncertain times that we're living in, isn't it? We are surrounded by uncertainty. But tonight, I want to speak to you about how we can find certainty in uncertain times. How we can find, how we can find certainty in uncertain times times. Now, as we start to look at this passage and how that can speak to us of that, let me tell you a story about uh, what, uh, when I was about 13 years old, and I was living down uh, on the south coast of England, and a friend of my dad's from our church, a guy called Robert, lovely guy, and he would have been about 70 years old at that time. And he was the friendliest, loveliest, nicest guy that I knew. And whenever my dad would go around there, I would always go with him. Not only me, but about eight or ten of my friends would go with me as well. Because even though my dad was going around to go and see him about something and have a chat about him about whatever it was, Robert would always go, great, all the young people are here, come into my uh, workshop and have a look at my, what I'm doing. He'd bought, for about £2,000, the chassis of a Rolls-Royce, an old one from about 1900, and he was himself single-handedly whittling tiny little screws on a lathe in his shed to build it back to brand new. And he did. He did two of them. Which, for me as a 13-year-old, seeing a man build a Rolls-Royce that ended up being worth about a quarter of a million pounds from scratch was the most astonishing thing ever. So I was fascinated by his, this, what he was doing. And I used to spend hours just watching him doing this in his, in his workshop. He'd let us have the run of the house. We'd be drinking lemonade from his fridge and just enjoying uh, being there in this friendly, lovely guy's house. Now, Robert died in about 2004, and since then, my dad has often brought him up in conversation about Robert this, Robert that, Robert whatever. And whenever he talks about him, he'd always say, oh, Robert, because he was, of course, he was a scientist, and this, that, and the other, and a great uh, scientist at that. And about two weeks ago, this, genuinely, this came up in conversation again. And I started to think, who is this guy? So I used my great friend, Google, and... Uh, searched Robert Boyd. Now, this is what came up. The very first entry on Google was his name. Sir Robert Boyd was a pioneer of British space science and founding director of the Mullard Space Science Laboratory. Now, the Mullard Space Science Laboratory, for those of you who don't know, uh, is one of the United Kingdom's, well, is the United Kingdom's largest university space research group and one of the first universities in the world to conduct space research, and he set it up. 
In addition to creating the Mullard Space Science Laboratory, Boyd played an instrumental role in the founding of the European Space Research Organization and its subsequent incarnation, the European Space Agency. Before uh, Boyd succeeded Harry Massey as the chair of the British National Committee for Space Research, he became a fellow of the Royal Society in 1969 and was knighted in 1983 in recognition of his services to space science, and I had no idea. (laughs) Not a clue. The questions I would have asked him if I'd known wouldn't have been about, can I have some lemonade, would they? (laughs) You see, Robert, I knew from my perspective... I knew from the perspective of a 13-year-old lad who was interested in tools in a shed and lemonade in a fridge. But from the perspective of the rest of the world, Robert Boyd was one of our leading space scientists. And it's interesting, isn't it, even for us intelligent folk here, how easy it is to miss who it is that somebody is and the fullness of their self and their character and what they have for, you, for us. And I believe that different perspective with which I now view Robert Boyd, and greater than that, in fact, is what we're being called to in this passage tonight. Because we see that the writer uh, of this letter calling the people to whom he is writing to a new perspective on who Jesus is. And similar to us, these people are quite intelligent folk. Now, nobody knows for definite who wrote this letter or who it was written to, but the best guess is that it was written by a teacher to his students who were in Italy potentially uh, in a time that had just faced a lot of persecution but they know their stuff. They're intelligent folks. Yet he's writing to them and saying, you have missed the point here, guys. Because we open up and we read about um, Moses and how Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses. Because they, as far as they were concerned, with their Jewish background and their Jewish understanding of the world, Well, Moses was like the top dog. Because Moses was the one who'd gone and had a face-to-face conversation with God, wasn't he? He'd found out from God what God wanted for his people. How he wanted them to live. How he wanted to live in relationship with each other. And how he wanted them to live in relationship with him. And a person who could do that, well, there's nobody greater than them, was there? But yet the writer of this letter is calling them to fix their thoughts on Jesus because he is greater. And this fix your eyes, fix your thoughts, it's a thing that comes up again and again as we read the New Testament, this idea of fixing your thoughts. And it's not just about having a think and sort of going, oh yes, Jesus. It's about every part of your mind, your heart, your thoughts, your knowledge, your understanding. It's about going deep. It's about dwelling in and spending time in so that we don't miss anything. If Google had been around when I was hanging out with Robert Boyd, I'd have probably found out more. 
And it's that same idea of going, do you know what? We need to fix our eyes on Jesus and understand who he is. Because at that point, you see, you realize how much greater he is. Because where Moses was able to communicate what God wanted them to do and how he wanted them to live, Jesus had kind of gone one or two or a million better. Because when you fix your eyes on Jesus, you see that Jesus has won it all already. So as we sit in uncertain times, and as these folks in this, uh, um, who are being written to, were sitting in times of persecution, times of great difficulty around them. They're being called to understand who it is that Jesus is and what he has done. Because you see, Jesus Christ not only died on the cross, but rose from the dead as the first to raise from the dead and then ascended into heaven and started ruling over his kingdom. And that kingdom we are in. That kingdom is this world as well. And all of us and all of this world is being drawn towards an amazing goal and being made new. And when we understand that it's not just about this perspective that we have now, this moment, this perspective that we can look forward to, that we can see the victory that Jesus has already won as he is making everything new, then we can have hope, can't we? We can have hope. We can have hope. Because whatever the uncertainty that we're living in, whatever we're facing, however hard it is, and I'm not saying that life won't be hard, because it will. But that we can look ahead, and we can look up, and we can see the king who's won it all for us. But it's so easy to miss day to day, isn't it? But that hope comes when we realise, when boom, in comes this different world view. And when we realise that that is possible. A world view where those who have all the money and have all the worldly power, the successful Don't have the last say. Jesus has the last say. And when we realise that, I believe, I believe that our lives can never be the same again. Once you know it. And that's why we're being called to fix our eyes. But we hear it a lot, don't we? This idea that um, God is not with us because times are hard. Something bad's happened, therefore he can't be around. 
I don't feel God near me. But that's a perspective that's a kind of me perspective. It's not a perspective that is a God perspective. It's a perspective that we read about in this passage. So as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the desert where your fathers were tested and tried me for 40 years and saw, uh, and saw what I did. I think that speaks of kind of what I was saying at the beginning. As we hear from each other what God is doing, that is a demonstration of God's kingdom at work. It's a little tiny glimpse of that victory. And yet as the uh, Israelites did in the desert, we do the same, that we see God at work and then as soon as hard times or trouble hit, we're back in to ourselves. But do you know there's some advice in here? In these uncertain times, in difficulty, in hardship, as we struggle to see the future, as we struggle to look ahead and look up and see the king on the throne. It says in verse 12, so see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it's called today. And in the King James version of the Bible, I bet nobody normally reads. There is a, other than Penny, nobody else reads. But I encourage you to because there's some amazing words in there. And in there, the word for encourage that they use is exhort. And exhort is not just a encouraging little pat on the back. Exhort is a powerful word. It's a word that's full of dynamism. It's a word that says, come on, this is going to be great. It's come on, it's okay. Look what the Lord is doing. It's got an urgency to it. And that's why it says daily. And we've been called to do that for each other. Now, mid-afternoon, I was thinking about this and going, how can I demonstrate this idea? I thought, what I need is Mark Harper uh, and a box. So I've got both of those available. I went up into the loft midway through the afternoon and got this box out. It's a packing box. And... uh, it's, we used it to move house, and then we've lent it to various people since then, uh, one of which being Pete and Annie Wilmot, uh, and uh, they moved house with it. And I don't know about you, uh, when you move house, but like, you often have a number of... Bo- this has got nothing to do with the talk, by the way. Uh, this is just an aside. It's got absolute, so forget this bit. Uh, but basically, um, you know, I'll write on the front of it, lounge one of seven, you know, because there'll be a lot of things from the lounge. Or kitchen one of ten whatever it might be. Pete and Annie, though, and you won't be able to see this, but trust me, on here, Pete's shoes, <laughs> one of seven. <laughs> one of seven. So there we go. Um, that has got nothing to do with it. Anyway, so, uh, a box and Mark Harper. So Mark has seen the great things that God is doing. And Mark can see the glory of the kingdom. 
But then hard times come. Doubts come. Fears come. Difficulties come. And these are those hard times. These are those difficulties. There we are. And that's what it looks like. So now Mark is still Mark. Mark is still able to be Mark and exist as Mark. But Mark can't see us. He can't see all of us and he can't see in front of his face. Can you, Mark? No, he can't see anything. Because all of the things, and it talks about it here as being sin, and sin, remember, is things that separate us from God. Sin is anything that separates us from God. It might be worry, it might be thoughts about money, it might just be doubts, whatever it might be. But Mark is trapped and can't see that in the end, Jesus has got the victory, as these folks in this letter clearly couldn't. But what they're being encouraged to do is to exhort each other daily, to encourage each other daily, to come alongside each other daily. And when you do that, this is what happens. As I come alongside Mark, I can lift this off for him. And suddenly, Mark can now see. Mark can see all of everything that's around him. He can see the glory of the kingdom. Thank you, Mark. So as I finish... I mean, crikey, there's loads more I could say, but I'm going to finish. I think that is the thing I would encourage you, exhort you to. Two things. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes and your thoughts and your mind on Jesus. Be looking up. Be looking ahead. Be reading scripture. Be praying. And be exhorting and encouraging each other. Be the one who lifts the box. Be the one who points to Jesus. And if you're feeling like you're inside that box, if you can't see the kingdom for the cardboard or whatever phrase you want to use, then gather alongside other folks as well. I met with some guys this week for just prayer and a a bit of uh, Bible reading and some coffee one morning. I said to them, well, what do you do? How do you kind of make it through? What's the thing that keeps you going on your spiritual disciplines? And they all said, it's other people. It's gathering with other people. To gather to pray, to gather to share, to gather to read your Bibles. So let this be that letter to you in uncertain times as we face uncertain times the way we can find certainty is to look ahead and up to the hope of Jesus Christ who's won it all and to do it together as brothers and sisters in Christ Amen Now, one of the ways that we can do just what John was saying, to focus on Jesus, is to do what he's commanded us to do, to 